Previously on Transformers University, we took a look at the powerhouse that was the Transformers brand in 1985 and how it continued to take over the world as the most popular toy line of the year. And today, we're going to delve a little bit deeper into the online fandom, the merchandising surrounding the brand, and the first video game ever made for Transformers. Right now, on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner, operator, madman behind the website, tfu.info, this podcast, and many other places you can find. tfu.info, you can find me. This is the day Transformers University turns 40. I'm a man! I'm 40! Episode 40, that is, and we're going to talk about a few of the odds and ends from 1985. Things that will eventually grow uh, bigger as time goes on. But uh, for 1985, each one of these is kind of small enough to fit in its own uh, portion of this episode. So today, we are talking about the online fandom from 1985, and there's not much. Uh, we are talking merch, as in merchandising. Merchandising! Merchandising! Where the real money from the movie is made. And we are talking what was a budding new industry in 1985. And that is the world of video games and the first Transformers video game. Uh, but before I jump into all that fun stuff, uh, first off, I just want to thank you all for supporting the show uh, via our Amazon links, tfu.info slash Amazon, or via our Patreon, patreon.com slash tfuinfo. Uh, if you haven't signed up, then uh, you don't know is that you've probably heard this episode way in advance. Uh because I am trying to get a jump start being a new dad. I'm trying to get a jump start on all the quiet time I do have during my paternity leave to uh, get a few episodes in the can. So, this one has been available to our Patreon students. You can join for as little as $1 a month. Now, on to the first topic at hand, and that is the online fandom. Now, last time around, 19, when we talked 1984... Uh, I was able to hunt down the first person to post about the Transformers comic. Uh, I did do a little digging for this. I didn't reach out to the gentleman because I wasn't entirely sure if it was him. And uh, time just did not permit me to reach out to Bill Flanagan, who uh, made the first online post about the Transformers cartoon back on October 6th, 1985. And that post was made to a Usenet news group uh, entitled net.comics. Uh, and Google does have a bit of an archive of Usenet. Uh, it is a little bit complicated to search, but uh, I was able to pull it off uh, to some extent uh, with the aid of the TF Wiki. And uh, there were a few other posts in 1985 about Transformers, but most of them were just uh, passing comments. This was still the first post about the show specifically. Now, as I mentioned, this 
post was made by a gentleman by the name of Bill Flanagan. Uh, he liked to review cartoons and uh, rated them on a scale of 1 through 6, 1 being the low rating, 6 being the high rating. And here is what he wrote. Transformers. When I first saw this show, my reaction was enthusiastic, to say the least. That's Japanese, in quotes. I could tell by the use of dramatic angles, the slightly jerking motion of 12 frames per second, and the patented, and that's in quotes, uh, use of shadow colors on human figures. My enthusiasm for the art has not died down much, but I had never thought of the writing. The story centers around two research teams sent out from the planet Cybertron to find energy. One team is the Autobots, uh, good guys in parentheses, and the other team is the Decepticons, bad guys in parentheses. Apparently, all of the self-aware machines on Cybertron can transform from humanoid robot to a useful vehicle or weapon. Well, these two teams happen to land on Earth at the same time. The patriotic Decepticons are trying to exploit Earth in a way in any way possible to get energy to Cybertron. If they can supply Cybertron with enough energy, it seems, they will be able to rule it. The Autobots are trying to stop the Decepticons. Later, the show degenerates to the point in which the Decepticons are just trying to rule the Earth or defeat the Autobots. The characters are standard to anyone who has read comics. We have the stout defender of truth, justice, and a good socket wrench, Optimus Prime, there is the evil scheming, he who schemes and runs away, villain, Megatron. Don't forget the token human boy, Spike. There are also plenty of assorted stereotypes. These are played by some familiar voices, Peter Cullen and Michael Bell from the Voltrons, Scatman Crothers from various prior performances, remember the Mailman in Chico and the Man, and Casey Kasem from American Top 40 on radio and American Top 10 on TV. He also played Mark on Battle of the Planets and Robin the Boy Wonder on Super Friends. He also played Shaggy on Scooby-Doo. And I'm going to take a quick note in here. Think about this. This is a time before IMDb, long before IMDb. Uh, so people did kind of have to make these notes and did have these arguments with nothing to settle them. Uh, but uh, the actual performances when they happened on TV because this is the early days of VCRs as well. All right, back to the review. The soundtrack is unimpressive, mostly a replay of the original theme you've heard a thousand times on the commercials, and that's one riff they play each time a scene changes. It gets as annoying as the chant between scenes of He-Man. The animation is still nice. It's more consistent than G.I. Joe or Mask and seems to be top of the line for animation that is storyboarded in America and sent to Japan. They don't do the more impressive tricks Mighty Orbots or an original Japanese production would have done, like a close-in on a moving ship as it whizzes by you, or circling the main character. What they do, however, they do well. This is not great television, far from it, but if you like to see some nice animation, this isn't too bad. As a footnote, I've noticed they took out the credit that tells who did the animation. I think that this is a crime. I truly doubt that the people who watch would like to know more about the script editors than the animators. I've seen several where credited Toei Doga for the animation. Transformers rates a 4 on the Flanimation scale. And just to uh, give you what a 4 translates to, uh, 6 is see it, record it, watch it several times a day. 5 is record it, watch it 
while some direct is playing on TV. And it gives uh, examples of what the what would rate a 6 and a 5. So a 6 would be Macross, a 5 would be Mospita, a 4, which is what uh, Transformers got, is watch it if you happen to be in the room at the time. And Southern Cross is the one uh, they use here. Uh, 3 is not offensive, not impressive. That would be Voltron 3, which I believe is Golion, uh, which is the Voltron we got here as Voltron. Um, Two is uh, Drek, but with some redeeming factors, uh, such as Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And one is pure Drek, and that would be uh, Gobots. So there is your Flanimation scale, Transformers rating A4. Um, I don't know if I agree with a lot of this review. Uh, clearly, it stood the test of time. But uh, I think the biggest... I mean, some of it is pretty boilerplate review of this show, especially from... Uh, and someone who is clearly older than the target audience. Um, the part about the soundtrack being unimpressive is uh, way off, uh, in my estimation. The soundtrack for the show, um, yeah, while it does repeat in a lot of places, uh, is very compelling to what's on the screen. Um, and you can clearly, clearly tell that once you see a show that doesn't have a good soundtrack and doesn't have uh, a compelling musical theme, to carry the show and that's just my two cents on the review but that is what usenet is for and it's always fun to note that in 35 or 34 years uh, usenet hasn't changed all that much now what has changed a lot in the last 35 years is the video game industry and in 1985 there was a transformers game released uh called the transformers for the computer system, Commodore 64 was developed by Denton Designs out of the UK for Ocean Software. Um, and for Ocean Software, Ocean Software was a company that made games uh, into the 90s, eventually was uh, sold to Infogrames, which was eventually bought out by Atari. Denton Designs also designed games uh, into the 90s, uh, most notably the Batman Returns uh, movie adaptation for the Sega Genesis and uh, for the Commodore 64, they also did a lot of licensed games, such as a game called Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Relax. Oh, but these Commodore 64 games had chiptune audio, so Frankie Goes to Hollywood was done as a chiptune. And just a fun personal story... Regarding that song <laughs> and my childhood, uh, my mom liked to uh, make up her own words to songs uh, and make them fun or funny. And the song Relax <laughs> to her was always sung as Relax, don't do it, pick your nose and chew it. And so that song just it does hold a very stupid, fun place in my heart. And it's kind of interesting just hearing it as a chiptune, as was the Transformers theme for this game.
both of those chiptunes were composed by Fred Gray as part of his work for Denton Designs. Now, uh, there was an interview with Denton Designs online, and according to one of the folks that worked there, someone by the name of Ali Noble, they said, quote, I think Transformers was an embarrassment. Uh, we find out the game was under a tight deadline, and according to designer Steve Kane, uh, quote, we were all under so much pressure. I designed it, so I take all of the blame for it. It was the worst game Denton's ever did, and it was their biggest seller. End quote. So the game, and I've watched a few uh, trailers for it, uh, playthroughs for it on YouTube. Uh, the game basically had a team of five playable Autobots, Optimus Prime, Jazz, Bumblebee, Mirage, and Hound. They could run, they could fly, they could shoot, and they could transform. Uh, they needed to do certain ones of those things uh, over platforms or up and down inclines, but certain other ones would cause them to blow up. Uh, throughout the game, they needed to collect pieces and then bring it back to a square that would eventually form the Autobot logo. Or as one YouTuber put it, First you choose one of these robots and then you run around and you die. And that takes us to merchandise. Uh, now, I'm going to cover some of 84 and 85 here because I didn't do this for 84, but uh, uh, look, I'm not going to cover everything. This was the boom of Transformers merchandise at the time. Uh, this, There's a reason why we're still referencing back to 84 and 85 every few years with the toy line. It's because this is the core of popularity for the brand. When you change into Fun Pals and Underoos underwear, you can pretend to change into a hero. Mask where illusion is the ultimate weapon. By the power of Grayskull, He-Man is here. Imagine you can change into all your favorite heroes from Superman to Thundercats with Fun Pals and Underoos underwear. More than meets the eyes. The Transformers. With Fun Pals and Underoos, you can change into a hero. What are you doing up there? So, everything was made back then. Lunchboxes, t-shirts, sheets, cups, mugs, board games, trading cards, stickers, uh, school supplies. Uh, you name it, it existed. One thing that didn't exist was a Transformers branded cereal. Now, there was a tie-in with Cookie Crisp, and I think I mentioned this in the toy episode, uh, where you could mail away for uh, a version of Jazz that had a slightly different sticker set on him. Uh, but before they had done that, they had actually uh, tested out the notion of doing a Transformers cereal called Transformers Chocolate Flavored Cereal, which was basically uh, Cocoa Puffs. Um, this was never brought to market, but some of the test boxes did leak. And uh, you can find pictures of the box online. The box could be cut up and reconfigured into a robot. And once a one of these test boxes actually sold on eBay for... $349. Now, one of the more popular characters of the show, one that got uh, made into many things, was uh, Soundwave. He was made into an actual working cassette player. And in the UK, and I think it's UK only, he was made into something called uh, the Design Center. And it was kind of a, an arts and crafts caddy. So, he had things hidden in him, so his head was attached to a ruler and stored in his body. The one arm contained um, a really crappy pair of scissors, while the other arm contained a pencil sharpener. His legs stored 
plates to uh, create relief art. Uh, if you grew up with uh, little Van Goghs like I did, which was this little thing where you create a relief art where you put a plate down, um, and for little Van Goghs it was three. There was a front, a middle, and a back, and you made different uh, vans. And then you put a piece of paper over it, and you had a, a piece of crayon that was inside of this slider, and you slid it back and forth across the paper, and the uh, impressions from the plate underneath would be the only things drawn on the page. And then you would color in your new uh, drawing. Uh, so they had that with Transformers uh, box art as part of his legs. Um, and his chest, you would put the crayon holder and uh, pieces of paper where you know the cassette would go. And there was this clip-on arm for a uh, pantograph uh, tracing machine as well. In addition to Soundwave getting some love, there was uh, another character that wasn't Rumble and wasn't Frenzy. He was named on the box of a voice changer uh, that bared his face uh, as enemy. Now, it was just the head of Rumble or Frenzy, either one. It doesn't matter because this one is pure red, while Rumble or Frenzy is either blue or black with red highlights. This was red with black highlights. And um, the voice changer was this molded head in red with a silver face, and you talked into it, and it changed your voice into something robotic. They also made the AM radio and headset uh which was a working handheld AM radio uh, in a basically a box, like a walkie-talkie, and uh, attached to the rear of it was a transforming version of Enemy in the Rumble Frenzy mold. Um, and it was permanently attached to the box, so you had to just transform him into a cassette on the back of this toy radio. Now, also popular, of course, was Optimus Prime, and he had some interesting merch as well. There was the Optimus Prime Oral Care Station, which was an Optimus Prime toothbrush, but not shaped like a toothbrush. Shaped like Optimus Prime with a toothbrush attachment in his arm, which was then motorized to brush your teeth. Uh, there was also the Vehicle Play Tent, which was uh, a tent uh, you built in the shape of Optimus Prime's vehicle mode, uh, with the exception of Optimus's head still being exposed on the top of the cap. Additionally, as far as wacky merchandising goes, there was the the Tech Specometer or Tech Specometer 11, and this was basically 11 uh, little gadgets in one. It's like a Swiss Army knife of uh, Cybertronian technology, or a sonic multi-tool, if you will. And the uh, Tech Specometer 11 had. Uh, Two forms. One kind of looked like a gun, and the other was basically a square and uh, or a rectangle. Uh, in both forms, you could find an altimeter, a compass, a flashlight, magnifying glass, a tape measure, a sundial, um, a telescope that also worked as a periscope, uh, a mirror, a whistle, and a manual um, counter dial that you would click, and it would count for you. And it even had a wrist strap and was basically uh, a very bizarre uh, toy, <laughs> to say the least. Finally, and I feel like every 1980s toy line had one of these. I know I had one for He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and I don't know if I had a Transformers one, but there were 
many of these available back then was the jumbo collector's case and this was basically a um, hard cardboard case that opened up and had little plastic slots in it that allowed you to uh, sort and store your toys and there were two released for the Transformers in 84 and 85. The 84 one had the back box art from 1984 and of the Autobots and Decepticons fighting in space and the second one had uh, a Sunbow image uh, that I totally had as a poster as a kid and it's the it's Optimus Prime and a bunch of Autobots and Decepticons kind of flying out in various forms um, with a giant Decepticon logo and Cybertron at the top and the mountains at the bottom. Uh, it's one of my favorite pieces of Transformers art and I wish I knew where, where I got the poster from but I totally had a poster behind my door in my bedroom probably until I was about 16. Uh, <laughs> that And I think I didn't take it down. I put a poster over it uh, because I still wanted it there. So that um, that poster is, so that art is certainly one of my favorite images uh, of all time. It even shows the uh, arc being shot down by the nemesis uh, in the sky behind the Decepticon logo. It's, it is really, truly a great piece of art that uh, I do need to find a little bit more information on. Finally, speaking of posters, there were two very uh, interesting mail-away posters done in 1985. One uh, is called The Power Struggle, and it was a promotional poster available via Frito-Lay Snacks. Uh, it features a bunch of very toyetic uh, paintings of Autobots and Decepticons uh, fighting alongside them. There's Hound and Optimus and Megatron, Devastator, Jazz, Shockwave, and Kickback. And uh, it does follow the notion that the Transformers fight over a dam, uh, which happens uh, in the first episode of the show. Now, most of this art is uh, borrowed from another poster that was available in 1985, and that is Battle in the Desert Valley, and that was available via High Sea brand fruit drinks. Uh, there's a short blurb about the battle that involves uh, the Autobots and Decepticons fighting at Boulder Dam. Uh, in this image, you have Optimus and Megatron fighting, but you also have Soundwave, Starscream in both modes, uh, Ravage and Buzzsaw. And on the Autobot side, Trail, Breaker, Slag, Hound, Sideswipe, Jazz, and the top part of combat deck. And with that, we are going to wrap up this edition of Transformers University. I hope you enjoyed this dive into some of the merch from 1985. And if there's any merch uh, you think uh, I should mention or that was uh, particularly impactful to you as a child or something that uh, always kind of sat with you, uh, please reach out to me on Twitter at TFU underscore info or on Facebook and Instagram, uh, facebook.com slash TFU info, instagram.com slash TFU info. As always, please swing by 
our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash tfuinfo. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe already. I'm still giving away that studio series, Thundercracker. As soon as we get to 1,000 subscribers, we are just over 100 away. So if you want a chance to win that, you just have to help us get to 1,000 subscribers. It's real easy. Tell your friends. Tell your friends of friends. Tell your enemies and tell their friends as well. Next time on the show, we are jumping back into season two of the cartoon. We are talking about the final ten episodes, but not all at once. We're going to do five at a time. So we're going to do the first five of the final ten episodes of season two in episode 41 of Transformers University. Until next time, I'm your host, Anthony Bricali, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info the world's longest-running transforming toy archive, www.tfu.info. Till next time, see ya.